Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Linux in the Ham Shack. We are back. We had lots and lots of episodes in the backlog, so we could just like lay around and be lazy, but uh, now they're all out. So we have to do some new stuff, and and we're going to try and give it a shot. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, uh, over there, hiding behind the bushes, between the peaks, and oh, he resists saying it. Um, Russ, uh, K5TUX, say hello to everybody, Russ. Hello, Richard, and everybody else who's listening to the program. This is Russ, K5TUX, broadcasting live from between the peaks in the pine forests of north central Arkansas. Welcome, one and all, to episode number 67 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm not going to talk too much about the beginning here because Richard went someplace that I didn't go to for a change, and we're probably going to get right into that. So back to you. Yeah, we'll we'll hop into it in just a minute. Um, For those of y'all who don't show up regularly and uh, squeak squeak by by listening to the prepackaged, edited version of the show, uh, y'all missed a truly ripping discussion about uh, urban lore before we got started tonight. So, if y'all want to keep up with what's going on, y'all need to come hang out in the chat room. The one female that's in here tonight put up with it because she knows how he is. Knows how he is. Yes, y'all been hearing me talk about it, uh, screaming about it, giving URLs, everything else. Texoma Hammerama, Texoma Hammerama in Ardmore, Oklahoma, exit 33 at the beautiful new tech, uh, crap, Ardmore Convention Center, Ardmore Convention Center. It was an absolutely lovely place. You know, uh, considering Ardmore and the size of it compared to Arlington, Texas, which is where they used to have Hamcom, it was a very nice facility. Very nice. The exhibit hall was spacious, spacious. The conference rooms weren't cramped. I mean, they weren't huge, but they weren't cramped. And uh, there was way more than ample parking. And believe it or not, and it's odd here in Texas, it may be different in uh, everybody else's part of the world, but believe it or not, the parking spaces were wide enough that you could actually open the doors on your vehicle once you got parked. What do you think about that, Russ? I think you clearly were not in California because I don't know if you've ever been out there, but unless you've got a smart car or a Toyota Prius, you cannot open the doors in your vehicle if you park anywhere in California. Yeah, well, I mean, it's that way here too because up there at the CC's Pizza a while ago, I had to had to park all the way over on the line on the on the passenger side so that I could get out on the driver's side. But I got there early. I got up front. We stood outside, and uh, me and some other guys talked about amateur radio for about an hour while we was waiting for them to open because there was an erroneous entry on the website. And we stood there for about an hour waiting for them to unlock the doors. Once the doors opened, and I got around Henry Allen, uh, squeaked around him, because I figured he wouldn't take my money if he, he seen I was coming in. Uh, went on inside, and as far as vendors, there probably wasn't two or three vendors in the place. The rest of it was 
uh, good old fashioned ham radio junk stuff. We saw some good HF radios and handhelds. And there's a fellow that had a bunch of uh, hard line laying on a couple tables. I was, I'm kind of dismayed at the current trend of these ham shut ham, uh, best letting in people selling beads and purses and scented candles. However, we went on down. As soon as I went in the door, headed towards the back, I should have known he was hanging around somewhere in the neighborhood of the food. I ran into Jimmy Pinkston from the Texas Baptist Men. He was down there getting some hard line for their new commercial uh, commercial quality repeater that they're going to use at the Baptist Men for local communications uh, because a lot of their guys are not radio operators, even though Pinky's going to start working on them again. The uh, restroom facilities were clean and nice. The people running the concession stand were crooks. It was a definite ham radio fest. And while we were there, I ran into a bunch of other guys. For those of y'all who really want to know, uh, everybody I did run into that I actually knew out there, uh, there's a post on the LHS website. There's also a post over on the, on the resident frequency website. Got too many websites now, y'all. Too doggone many. But we ran into the current president of the Ham Association of Mesquite, the current president of the, uh, Texas VHFFM Society. Uh, I didn't put a picture to, uh, David on there, but Dr. Woolweaver, the, uh, current West Gulf division director was there. David Kahn, assistant section manager for North Texas. And, uh, while I'm thinking about it, any of you guys that do go to what is now Dayton and maybe Cincinnati later, y'all go check out David's presentation because he plans on, uh, making it at Dayton or wherever they are this year. On uh, building your local club, building your local club. David's spent a lot of time. David's come a long way since he got licensed. He, I run into him shortly after he got his license. I guess probably a couple months after the shuttle disaster. And he's come a long way in amateur radio. So uh, y'all might want to go uh, hunt him down. If you're down here in Texas in, in June, you may uh, may catch him at Hamcom possibly down at uh, Summerfest in Austin. But you can definitely catch him up there in Dayton this year because he said he's going to go. Same thing with uh, Andrew Karstarpin, uh, WY5V. He's got a program about uh, ham radio in the park, which is really taking off around here. He said they didn't originate the idea, but they're perfecting the method. So uh, y'all go check him out too. Anyway, we run into the current president of the Ham Association of Mesquite and ex-president of the Ham Association of Mesquite. We sat in on the Oklahoma Section Aries uh, uh, conference. I learned a few things I can put to use there myself because this guy up here in Oklahoma, he really has got it on the ball. And coming from a situation where we had to deal with races all the time, uh, it was definitely a breath of fresh air. So, Russ, are you snoring yet? I am not, but what I was wondering is if you actually did some, you know, plugging of the show or, or even mentioned it to anybody while you were out there. Oh, I talked to people about it, plugged the show, shook, shook some hands. 
told them to check things out. You know, unfortunately, I didn't get enough advance notice on it to be able to get a table out there. Henry probably would have given me one for free. I didn't have enough advance notice on it. And if we hadn't uh, turned the curve on the financial situation, as it were, I uh, probably wouldn't have gone, gone this time. However, yes, I did promote the show. That's one of the reasons all the pictures are plastered all over the place, even though I didn't get but uh, the folks <laughs> the folks that I, I knew up there. Unfortunately, them guys are really, really hard to shake them loose out of the windows tree. However, that does remind me. I did uh, try to talk to the guy at the Flex Radio booth because he was out there again and find out if they've made any progress on making that uh, Linux compatible, but I couldn't get near him because he was covered up with people the whole time I was there. Well, I don't think that's on their priority list by any means from what I've seen and what I've heard from, you know, around the way. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how that comes along. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to figure out how to get myself a shirt so that, uh, they can't, they can't avoid it. So, but it'll have to be like one of the white ones. Cause if I go up there wearing a shirt that says kiss my badger, I doubt people going to pay much attention to me. <laughs> you get a shirt that says flex radio can kiss my badger. Oh, well, there you go. No, I need to, I need to find out what's going on with that because he was pretty, pretty adamant. They were working that direction. When I talked to him down in Belton, of course, if things continue to be, semi-stable we may get down to belton where i have a little more of an opportunity to get up and talk to him okay so anything else let's see it was a a beautiful sunny day it was so cold that i had to turn the heater in the truck on in the truck it was two hours there it was two hours back and i didn't even get to stop at the casino oh yes they had uh, had a room set aside in the convention center for the ladies now, I seen a couple guys dressed like police going in there. And uh, one guy that looked like a fireman. No, quite honestly, they had a room set aside for the ladies to hang out and play bingo and, and talk and all this other stuff. And um, it, it was kind of geared so everybody could come have a good time. Of course, Henry, Henry, Henry and his wife, and I can't remember her name right offhand, uh, they've been pushing this thing for quite a few years. You know, he's an ex-president of the ham association also. Yeah. We got them all over the place. Maybe one in your neighborhood that, that they really working to get this thing going where, uh, people will attend. I think it's a good location myself. It's a, it's actually, when you check it out, it's actually halfway between Dallas and Oklahoma city, which means that everybody can come. Well, maybe we'll try and come next time. Even people in Missouri. Yeah. Well, you know, Actually, you know what? Uh -huh. People in Texas can get to Dayton too, but they don't seem to show up. Well, that's because I'm Po. <laughs> I thought. Well, you're not Po no more. You said you uh, turned the corner. No, we turned the corner. That that, that just less poor. <laughs> <clears throat> less poor. I think I'll name a guitar that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway yeah uh, you folks up in oklahoma north texas southern southern kansas nebraska arkansas southwestern misery 
yeah, that too. Y'all all go on down next year and, and say hello. I mean, it's not one of the biggest ham fests I've ever been to, but it was pretty enjoyable. Plus, they just opened a brand new hotel next door to the convention center. Uh, in fact, they had their opening day the day before the Saturday I went down there. So how many people and, do you think came through the doors? Oh, Lord. I don't know. It, it, it was probably in the low thousands, low thousands. Like just over a thousand, twelve hundred. Yeah, something like probably, that. probably twelve, fifteen thousand people come through the door. Fifteen thousand, hundred. <laughs> twelve, fifteen hundred people come through the door. And was it just the one day, or was it two days? No, it was Friday and Saturday. They were uh, uh, there in the evening on Friday, and then they were there in the morning on Saturday, which uh, was mostly the seminars and stuff like that. They had the flea market open, but that was the day they had most of the, uh, they had several ARRL forums and some Aries stuff going on. The, one of the guys from Newington was there doing, uh, doing an hour on, on Aries and that kind of stuff. I on the other hand was tired and wanted to come back home. I had, I got up at two 30 to be there when they opened the doors. <laughs> Yeah, and then you found out you only had to be you only had to get up at three thirty. Well, that's okay. I met some nice radio operators. Well, that's a good deal. So, how many vendors were there? Actual vendors? Well, you know, vendors well, I, and well, it's like I said, actual vendors. There were like two or three. As far as tables, there were probably I don't know sixty, seventy tables there. And that's when I say table, I say I mean spot booth, right? You know, not one table for every person, but like if three tables is what I mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we know what you're trying to say. So there were. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. So, I mean, there was plenty to look at. Oh, yeah. yeah There's plenty of equipment out there. And in fact, if, uh, if I could get out of this not spending any money mode, I'd have probably spent 100, 200 bucks out there with no problem. No problem at all. Well, I think uh, it sounds like it. I mean, it's not that far away, Ardmore. Um, how far do you think it is from Tulsa? That I'm unclear on. <laughs> <laughs> I know door to door from here, it's 130 miles. Yeah, see, it's kind of going away from us, though, because 35 uh, heads over to Oklahoma City, which is kind of going the other way. Yeah, so. um, I'm, I was stuck between there and there one time and now i'm trying to type that in <laughs> well if it's 130 uh, miles for you and it's uh south of oklahoma city it's probably probably 200 for us but that's doable i mean hell we go to dayton that's a lot further than 200 <laughs> well you know i got to i got to thinking about it you know i drive further to get to uh get to shreveport yeah when i go out there to do work and stuff i drive in fact, it's not much further than Tyler. Now I take it back. It's not much further than Marshall, Texas from here. And the old Google map on the wall say from Tulsa, it's 200 miles, 200 miles. Oh, okay. Well, that yeah. makes it about, that makes it about 320 then. Cause Tulsa is about 120. So yeah, well, 
that shows it going through Oklahoma City to get there. There may well, be a shorter route. No, I don't think so because I mean, forty four over to over to Oklahoma City is pretty much as direct as it gets. Yeah, I guess so. Oh well, like I said, it's still closer than Dayton. So if you know, exactly, if there's enough people there to make it worthwhile, and it sounds yeah. like twelve hundred plus people is certainly enough. I mean, that's more people that go to uh, Ohio Linux Fest. So, well, yeah, and um, you know, another thought there is I've gone to Summerfest down at well, even Belton is about the same distance. For yeah, me. right. Belton is about the same distance. I was going to say, I've driven to Summerfest down in Austin more than once, and it's further than that. Yeah, but Austin's a way cooler city. What is if you got time to to hang around down there? Well, if I was going to go down there, I'd probably want to hang around. Well, I've been trying to get to South by Southwest for 10 years now. Yeah. See, because... I mean, it's a 10 hour drive for us to get to Austin. So yeah, I can't get Brenda enthusiastic. I don't know. I'd like to go to South by Southwest. Seems like you get overwhelmed down there though. There's so much to do and see and whatnot. Well, that's okay. I ain't got to see no movie, look at no artwork. I just, I just want to sit around in a chair and, and sip beer, sip beer and listen to the music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So okay, kids. Uh, what? Oh, I was just going to ask if there was anything else you wanted to say about the Texoma Hammerama. Actually, I'd like to thank Henry Allen and the uh, Texoma Amateur Radio Club and all you folks for being so friendly and kind and putting on the Texoma Hammerama because all in all, I had a good time and it was actually nice to get away and have a day when I didn't have to worry about anything except the truck making it back from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, kids, I think we're going to play some music, and then we'll be right back.
then the woman screamed, Masher, Masher. Oh, wait, the music stopped. <laughs> okay, we're back. Um, the police were not involved. Anyway, so um, Russ, uh, I see in the old etherpad on the wall, Ham QTH. Now, I'm, I don't rightly remember Ham QTH, uh, but you got it in here. And uh, so what's up with that? Well, as far as I know, this is a fairly new project. This was brought to me, my attention by Ted, WA0EIR, last week. And he said, well, you should go check out hamqth.com because it's a free call sign lookup site. Free in the sense that like qrz.com is still free and you can still do call sign lookups over there. But if you want to get any of the detailed information, you have to sign up with qrz.com. HamQTH, on the other hand, is still completely free and open. He said, he being Ted, said something about the database, or they claim the database is almost as good as QRZ.com, but perhaps not quite as good. Um, but another, th well, here's, I went and did a couple of call sign lookups here at HamQTH.com. The first one I did, of course, was myself, because that's just how I am. And interestingly... The way the site is put together, it uh, looks like a little bit of, I'm not sure if it's PHP code. Don't see anything that would give it away, what's on the back end. But there's a bit of JavaScript. Looks like they use some jQuery, maybe some PHP code, or maybe it's just all, all written in JavaScript. But anyway, when you uh, do a call sign lookup, you just get a very simple page, and it shows... You know, the same sort of stuff that QRZ.com's number of lookups, name, QTH, blah, blah, blah. You can look at websites, uh, grid locators, CQ and ITU zones, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, it'll show you a map based on Google Maps as to where the call sign originates from. There's a couple of things that I've noticed. The first call sign I looked up was my own, K5TUX, and it comes up with uh, most of the correct information, except my grid square is wrong. If you uh, click on the grid square, it'll actually identify the grid square via Google Maps. Uh -huh. Or, I'm sorry, via APRS. Uh, it goes to the APRS.FI site and uh, actually outlines the grid square. And if you look at the grid square for mine, it shows uh, EM36QH, and it shows the grid square there outlined in red. And uh, there's two interesting things to note about this. One is that that's not where I live, and two, the grid square is wrong. I actually live in the next grid square down, EM36QG. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so I'm not sure... If that's just a function of the calls or the address lookup, like the geo query, uh, showing the wrong information or showing that I'm located in the wrong information and therefore it's showing the wrong grid square, or if that's a function of HamQ8, HamQTH that's screwing it up, but either way, it's wrong. Then I looked up Ted's call sign. So I typed in WA0EIR. And I noticed something interesting about that, too, and that's that the website address for him is completely messed up. And I don't know if that's you, Ted, or if that's just them. Of the two queries that I did, both of them had erroneous information. So let me look up, let me look up Richard here. So you're not down the street from the park? I'm, I'm not down the street from the park. 
Hickey City Park. Um, yeah, I'm not too far from there. Okay. Map works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying that it put me in the wrong grid square. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Okay, so are you in grid square? Well, were you in grid square at EM12QR when you lived in Ball Springs? Yep. Okay, so it's got you correct. Yeah, being the, just because that's how I am, I looked me up first. Yeah, that's a, yep. Same with me. <laughs> uh, couldn't think of a better call sign to look up than my own. Let me see if like, uh, one of our listeners, ON4AA is, is in there. He's in Norway. Let's see how good this is here. ON4AA. Yep. Sure enough. There he is. I don't know if any of his information is correct, but at least, uh, he's in the database. So that's good. Uh, got, got a wild call sign we can look up, test this, da- this database out, see how extensive it is. Serge Strubrant, Strubant, blah, yep. blah. Colonel somebody circle. Anyway, <laughs> well, I don't know. Hmm. Why don't you see if it show? No, we can't do that. Well, anyway, let's not linger too long on this. But anyway, what, uh, what's sort of interesting about this, other than the fact that it's a a free call sign lookup database is that there is also a developer area where if you want to use a call sign lookup in your own applications, you can register with hamqth.com and get a session key. Uh-huh. And once you do that, then you can embed HamQ, hamqth's call sign lookup in your applications and it sends you all the information as raw XML. So it's really easy to parse the data out. You don't have to have something that will actually like do what call get does, which, you know, scrapes, uh, QTHs or QRZ, sorry, uh, their call sign, uh, webpage for the information. This actually spits out the form in XML data so that it's really easy for developers to get the information out and use that information in whatever application they're writing. And what's cool about that is even the developer access to handqth.com is free. You just have to sign up and tell them who you are. That to me is pretty cool. So I want to well, thank. Well, it looks like you have to do that to change your data in uh, in the call sign lookup too. Well, right. I mean, they have to know who's who. I, I assume they don't want everybody changing, you know, just anybody's call sign data willy nilly. Yeah. Well, that's why I have a have a uh, now six people have looked me up. Um, that was you six times, right? No, it's just me once. Oh. <laughs> um, well, that's one of the reasons that I, I have a log on over at QTR at uh, QRZ because you had to, had to do that to be able to put your information in there. My information has been in there as long as I've known about it, probably since back in the nineties sometime. Looks like the login is pretty simple. Registration, the, oh no, I'm not in Afghanistan. Pretty simple sign up. One of the things that throws me though is that the the Facebook like button appears to be in Spanish or something. The like button? I didn't even see a like button. Hang on a second. Up at the top of the page. Uh after you do a call sign lookup? Yeah, I guess so. Well, I'm sitting on the register page now right now and it's there. Oh yeah, I do that. So to say me leave something. Yeah, it definitely looks like it's in Spanish, doesn't it? Well it could be Libyan. That last word looks like Libby. Libya. Lib E, uh, something. Well, be Libyan. <laughs> no mo mo mar. Oh, well, that won't make it. 
Yeah, well, the registration is real simple. You just put in your call sign, your basic information, that's all there is to it, and log in. But at least the the return data, if you don't log in and just query a call sign, you actually get the data out. If you actually go to qrz.com and do a call sign lookup, all you get now is the call sign and a little thing saying you have to log in in order to get any of the data back, which is retarded. Because if the last thing I checked, you can go to the FCC's ULS and do a query there, and you don't have to sign up for that. So if you can get all the data straight from the FCC, I don't understand why QRZ is trying to monetize a call sign lookup. But that's just me, you know. If they're if it's working for them, great, I guess. But, because QRZ is about making money, and before they had the website, they had CDs with call sign the call book on it and stuff, and that's the whole thing. They're about making money. You should see their ad rates. Well, all I'm going to say is I'm going to stop using QRZ, and I'm actually writing an application, and I'm going to sign up for the developer part of this HamQTH thing, so I really want to thank Ted for bringing it to our attention. For anyone else out there who wants to do free call sign lookups and not have to worry about all the advertising and crap and cruft and stuff that is presented at QRZ.com, check out HamQTH.com. And somebody out there, please, God, make a Google uh, search engine thingy for it. Because, let's see, QRZ's got one. If we had one for this, why is that in there twice? If we had one for this, then we wouldn't have to go over there. (laughs) I agree. Oh, my goodness. Down with QRZ. You know, uh, well, no, the FCC database, I don't think has grid squares and stuff. That may be why the data is a little different. I've spent a little time over the last few days. Um, Well, the thing is, though, I think for most call sign lookups, you're not really going there to find someone's grid square, but maybe you are. I don't know. Well, there's some awards out there that are grid square dependent. No, I understand that. I'm good at logbook of the world, but I lapsed on that bad boy a long time ago. I understand going to a website to look up a specific piece of information, but I don't think QRZ should hide every piece of data from you from a basic search. Well, that's true. You know, that's true. Like so. I said, they about my, Oh, look at that. If you click on the call sign, you can find, you can see the APRS heads. Yeah. Well, yeah, buddy. I'm not right there. No, I'm not. But <laughs> you, you can see the D star repeater in downtown Dallas. Close that. You can see the D Star repeater in Mesquite. You can see me. Uh, oh, look, I'm over there. You can see my Windlink station going on over in the next county or in this county. Yeah, APRS FI. It'll take you over to APRS FI and you can see what's going on in the area. Okay, we got a comment in the chat room from AE5CP who says that the site generates the grid square based on your zip code as listed in the FCC ULS database. So that is why it could potentially be wrong because zip codes tend to be much larger than grid squares. Uh, yeah, they, they overlap and stuff. I'm running into that issue out here on uh, a recruiting project. be nice if I could talk. All right. So y'all go over there and check out uh, what the hell is the name of it? HamQTH. Yep. I think that's it. HamQTH.com. Thanks Ham once QTH. again to HamQTH.com. Yep. Just remember that Rich's address is not right because I'm stealthy. <laughs> However, click on the grid square under my name and it'll show you where I'm really at. 
because that KB5JBV-10, that is my actual location. Where is that? When you click the grid square at ham, yeah. ham what's it? It'll take you over to the uh, APRSFI page, uh-huh. show you all the stuff around you. And if you look over. Oh, yeah, I see that. The KB. Yeah. Are you actually and, registered on APRS? No. But then how does it know that's where you are? That's my Winlink station. Oh, that's your Winlink station. Gotcha. RMS Gateway, which runs on Linux. Yeah. And I got a question about that. I got to answer too, because now I have been made the de facto Linux expert for RMS gateways in this part of the world. Holy crap. Well, you made it sound like you moved a hell of a long way away, but you didn't move that far. No, it wasn't that far. It's from here. And for those in the chat room, I hope y'all are following along on the, on the APRSFI uh, website. If not, type in my call sign, then click on the grid square and you'll be over there. Yeah, then look um, uh, look to the west, or sorry, look to the east, because that's where your little wind link locator is. Right. From there to the one that comes up NT5RN, which is the D-Star repeater high atop the tower at West Mesquite High School in Mesquite, Texas, it is exactly 11 miles. Well, at least you didn't hey, have to go far. Yeah, and it takes me... It doesn't take me as long to get to Terrell as it does back to Bolt Springs, but what the heck. Hey, look, they found the Winlink locator. These guys might actually be good computer users before it's over with. Oh, look at that. If you hover over, if you hover over a node, it'll actually draw traces that show connections. I think that's what that is. Yeah, it shows connection points for APRS data. Interesting. So anyway, that APRS map is actually kind of neat, but that is sort of uh, ancillary to hamqth.com. It's actually just sort of using uh, the APRS.fi site, which you can use independently of hamqth.com. And for those of y'all listening after the fact to the edited edited version of this episode, I I want you to uh, scroll back a few minutes and listen again and notice how uh, effortlessly Effortlessly, I waltzed Russ right off of subject. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's quite all right, though. At least we get good information that way. Exactly. And in fact, I may have to give in to the APRS monster and put up a a gateway here for that because uh, I think we're going to need it. Okay. Well, so do you reckon we have anything else in this segment? I don't think so. I didn't actually think my little discussion of com was going to go this long, but since it did, I think we're, we can move on to the next thing or probably throw some music in first. Well, Russ, we're always interested in what you're interested in. It's your show. No, it is not. We, <laughs> your name comes first. You've always been the king of Linux and the ham shack. Only because it's our I instead of our you. <laughs> and in fact, if you really want to get picky about it, uh, J becomes, becomes before R. Well, but I don't use that name. Well, that's okay. We all know your secret name. Yes, that's right. All right. We'll take us into a break so we can come back and talk about some stuff that you want to talk about. 
We've been talking about secret name of one of the dogs around here for weeks. It's got my got my daughter in law completely bum fuzzled. Y'all ponder that a bit and listen to some music and we'll be right back. Okay, kids, that was some ripping music. We, we're, we're back. We're going to talk a little bit about printers, and we're going to head out the gate. It's, we, it's been a good evening here in uh, Heartland, Texas, because I've been able to keep all the farm animals out of the shed while I'm, uh, while I'm busy trying to talk. I was looking over my shoulder to make sure they wasn't in here. Y'all see me looking over my shoulder? There you have it. Okay, so... We're keeping them out of here so we can pay attention to what's going on and everything else. Life is good. So I thought we might talk for a few minutes and Russell run in and save me when I start sputtering and popping. A few weeks ago, wife finally had enough. She finally had enough. She got tired of this three gigahertz machine that she has and has had for five, six years now. Taking forever load web pages email and everything else so she finally relented and i nuked it and put linux men on it and yay yeah there you go yay linux mint brenda brenda is now operating on linux mint however i i've told the story before that there's some things i have to still run an occasional uh, windows machine on uh, over here, one of them Skype, 
which may be eliminated sometime in the near future. Uh, another one's iPods, which I'm just about done fooling with that mess. But one of the thing, one of the problems we've had on my machines is finding printers that would work. Now, at one time we had, I had a little, uh, Z35 Lexmark that I took away from her, carried it back in the, in the radio room, plug that bad boy up and worked with it a few minutes. And lo and behold, it started working. It's not impossible to get a printer to work. And in fact, uh, some of the better higher end printers will. But those of you on limited budgets like myself who uh, sometimes have to buy inexpensive printers, you you probably dealt with it also. But in her case, she was running one of these all-in-one printers, you know, copier, scanner, fax machine, printer, all that stuff. And it runs just fine with the Lexmark driver on her machine. Until we nuked it and put Linux Mint on it. <laughs> then I went back to try and uh, get it going again. My personal laptop is dual boot system. It still has the uh, still has the Windows Vista on it that I keep on there so I can run the program or the software to program some of my radios. But the other side is Ubuntu, which is what I use regularly. And then we have another laptop, which was given to her, which has... Windows 7 on it. Guess what? The same printer that worked just fine on Windows XP with the driver that came with it. There's been a change by Microsoft Windows and Vista will not run it. There's not a driver. Same thing with Windows 7. So now we're in a pickle because we use our printer to print uh, diagrams of what we need to do at work and sign off sheets for when we're finished doing the work and they, they uh, agree it's the way it's supposed to be and that kind of stuff. And um, occasionally we scan a photograph and put it in the computer, this, that, and other. So uh, we're high and dry. Now we haven't solved the problem with that one. However, I had a HP D1600, a small, inexpensive Hewlett-Packard printer. And I took that bad boy over and sat it on top of the uh, the printer table, plugged in the computer and plugged the power in, stuck a new ink cartridge in it, and lo and behold, it was off to the races. In fact, the little thing come up and said, Hey, do you know you just uh, hooked up a Hewlett-Packard D1600 printer? I said, I sure did. So one of the things uh, I'd like to talk a few minutes about is the fact that Printing is not the same. Now, I'm going to talk about Lexmark a few minutes. In the chat room, we've had some derogatory remarks about Lexmark printers. Uh, for the most part, I've always had pretty good luck with them, other than the fact that when you buy them, the uh, printer cartridges are not that expensive, but they escalate in price very rapidly. Uh, as far as drivers, I've never really had a problem running them until I moved over to Linux. And then there are only some of them that will run with Linux. I'm very happy with my little HP, and uh, I'm probably going to go try and procure her an all-in-one uh, printer in the HP line so we can get back to doing things we need to do. However, the first thing we'll come to is cups. And I know that uh, Russ is probably going to know a lot more about this, but I'm going to try and stumble through it. 
uh, cups is a, it's a printer server. It's, uh, for lack of better, better. Oh crap. I'll let Russ, what the hell's cups? <laughs> okay. Uh, cup stands for the common Unix printing system. It is what has become a standard, at least for sort of modern Linux distributions in handling printers and print queues for Linux. Now, I hate to admit it, but it was written by Apple for macOS, but it has since been migrated to most or many Linux distributions out there. I know my Linux Mint, Debian used it, I assume Ubuntu does, and probably Fedora and Red Hat and all and all those other ones. It's 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 pretty widely adopted out there. Now, usually what happens is your application where you set up your printers and whatnot in Linux, like when you go to your system folder and and go to printers and add a printer, is basically just manipulating the cups system. Now on most Linux systems you can you can see your cups stuff directly by going to a web browser and putting in localhost colon six thirty one, which is the port number for cups. In that way you can see all of the stuff that cups is doing directly. And you can actually do all of the things like adding printers and adding print drivers and finding network printers and all of that stuff through that web interface. It's it's pretty easy to use, pretty straightforward. I think the average person could go through there and, and add a printer pretty quickly uh, without too much trouble. And like I said, most of your other applications that deal with printer management are just an overlay on the CUP system. I just thought I would stick that little bit in there in your discussion about printers because as long as you have um, a good... As long as you have like Fumatic, the Fumatic drivers and the Gutenprint drivers, which are I think pretty standard uh, installs in most Linux distributions these days, as long as you have those packages installed on your system, then you will have drivers available for, I would say, most printers that you might use. I'm sure there are some esoteric ones out there that won't be in those driver libraries and whatnot. A lot of computers also use what's called the printer control language or PCL. Uh, version 5 and version 6. And even if your printer doesn't have a specific driver under Linux, you can sometimes select the generic PCL 6 driver or a generic PostScript driver, and it will run your printer just fine because it understands those different printer control languages. Uh, so that, that may be an option for some people who have a less well-known printer that is actually controllable by a standard control language like PCL or PostScript. And those drivers are, are definitely included by default in most Linux systems. What else about CUPS? Um, yeah, just remember anyway, go to your local system, port 631. That's where the CUPS interface is. You can even start and stop your print server and all that stuff. There's a lot to CUPS. It's very configurable. It's very dynamic. It does a lot of things, but it also manages to keep the basic information and what you just need to do to set up a simple printer, you know, easy to access and easy to use. And uh, in most cases, your printers will just simply work when you plug them in. And if they don't, you know, it's not too bad, usually. If you have a real problem with finding a printer or a printer driver, there is the Linux Foundation's Open Printing Project. 
And uh, are you familiar with that, Richard? Uh, yes, that's one of the few places I didn't go. I figured if uh, something like that was available for that all-in-one, it would have found its way onto the Lexmark website because in the past, they've been Linux-friendly. Yeah, Lexmark has been one of the print companies, printer companies, that tends to be somewhat Linux-friendly, at least as far as providing drivers or providing printers that are PCL or PostScript compatible, if nothing else. Uh, I don't know how they are these days, because I haven't used a Lexmark in a while, but apparently not as good as they used to be. Yeah, I mean, we had, uh, at one time, we had two different Lexmarks in the house. Uh, when I switched over to Linux from Windows, the printer I was using at the time, I could no longer use it because uh, there wasn't a driver for it. However, I had no problem printing across the network on her machine, and when she ended up getting a new printer, I took the old one and took it back there and plugged it in the radio room, and it worked just like it was supposed to. So, uh, yeah, in the past they have been. I don't know if this is a new deal or it's just the fact they have so many models now they can't keep up with all of them or what's going on. But I did finally find the driver page on the uh, server port, and I'm looking down through here, and, I mean, all the big names are here. Maybe not all of their all of the printers that are available from these people, but Epson's here, HP's here. And that's about as far as I am right now as HP, but they got a boatload of drivers for HP. Canon's in there and everything else. In fact, what it says is there's 1,234 printer drivers at this time in cups. So chances are you can go over there and find a look at the drivers. Uh, if you're like me, I try to try to stay away from any places. I can't get something cheaper. <laughs> so uh, I'm, li- I'm more likely to go to Walmart and look at printers up there. So you go up there, you write down your model numbers, you come home, you look up the drivers, you find one that's right, and you go back and you buy the printer. The upside of this particular printer over here is the fact that being an HP, I know that the ink cartridges are probably going to stay about the same price for a while, and they're affordable. They, that all-in-one went from, I think it was 18 or $19 for a black cartridge up to $35 for a black cartridge in the time that we operated it. So enough about that. <clears throat> One of the other things I want to discuss is uh, Russ is talking about front ends. In the case of this HP, uh, there's a front end that called HP LIP, HP LIP, even though I really don't see a whole lot of reason for it to be there because it doesn't do much more than give you just better access to the printer server cups, but it does look and feel kind of like what you would get if you installed a printer over on Linux. When you go ahead and initiate it, it gives you a place to change the options on the printer and uh, look at the print queue and all this other stuff, which for those of y'all coming over from Windows, and that's one of the reasons I talk that way because I came over from Windows instead of the days of gluing your code together Linux thing. 
<laughs> but uh, anyway, it it's there and it's effective. And in fact, that's one of the things that made me take a chance on a uh, HP printer in the first place. And they're not really that expensive. And looking at the ink cartridges across the board, we were looking at an all-in-one for Brenda's machine. And even though it's not the same cartridge as the one that's in this one over here, uh, that all-in-one, the ink cartridges for it are the same price. They're in the uh, $12 to $15 range. One of the things I guess we, we're probably learning here tonight, I'm learning for sure, is the fact that you probably need to try and stick with a name brand printer because those are probably the most uh, most likely to have a printer driver. And as I go down through here, I, I see over and over that most of these drivers are not but a year or two old. But there's even there are even drivers for the Lexmark printers. In fact, I bet if I scroll down here, I would see that printer that I was talking about that I had that worked just fine. It just so happens that the, nope, it's off the list. It just so happens that this all-in-one over here, it ain't happening. But I'm Russ, am, am I wrong in assuming that the, the printer portion would be run by CUPS and the scanner portion would be run by another program? Yes, you are correct. Um, usually the scanners are what are called Twain compliant, T-W-A-I-N. And there's a, um, there's a library in Linux called SANE, S-A-N-E, which deals with, uh, scanner devices. So you would most likely be using cups for the printing part and you would be using libsane or SANE for the scanner bit. Now, I haven't had a lot of uh, success, especially with all-in-one devices, for getting the scanners to work under Linux. But I understand that it can be done. Luckily, in my case, the all-in-ones, if I want to do, if I want to do copying, you know, that's sort of handled entirely within the printer, so there's no big deal there. But if I want to do scanning, luckily the printers that I use will actually have engines built into them, so you can scan directly to a computer, like via FTP or via uh, Windows Network Share, i.e. you can use Samba under Linux for it, or you can scan it and it will send it via FTP because they're network-enabled printers. So I haven't had a problem doing scanning and stuff like that with my all-in-ones because I've used the built-in printer functionality, but actually trying to get an all-in-one to scan using a Twain driver, haven't done a lot of work with that. I've sort of just uh, avoided the entire issue. By, by not dealing with it. So that may be something we need to talk about in a future episode, getting, uh, you know, scanning working in a, in a good way under Linux. Well, that's the deal. If uh, I have to get the scanner back online because uh, that's how we send some of our stuff into home office. But see, there you go, folks. Well, no, I'll get back to that in a minute. I got a question for Russ. So what you're telling me, Russ, is that the uh, wireless network enabled printer like that would probably work without too many problems on a Linux system? Well, I know the ones that I use don't, um, but I use fairly high-end printers. For one thing, I stopped using inkjets a long time ago because I discovered that from a price-per-page perspective, especially since the printer itself seems to be the inexpensive part and the consumable seem to be the expensive bit, 
that if you want to run a cheaper printer, you get a laser. Um, because while the toner cartridges tend to be more expensive, you get much, much more use out of them, much bigger duty cycle. And as, uh, as it turns out, your cost per page goes way down. Plus you don't have that stupid problem with clogged ink heads and bad ink cartridges and stuff like that, that you get with inkjets. As I said, if you, if you really want a new printer or an all in one or, or even just another printer that does better printing, I would go with an inexpensive laser over an inkjet. And there are some very inexpensive uh, Linux compatible laser printers. You know, we're talking 99 bucks. So that may be the way you want to go. And I actually uh, forgot what the question was. Network printer with Linux. Oh, network printers with Linux usually work really well. And CUPS detects them almost automatically in most cases because uh, network-enabled printers tend to use the LPD or IPP protocols, um, which are standards-based, and both of which CUPS recognizes and can actually pick a Linux printer or a printer that uses those protocols off the network automatically, and you don't have to do a single thing. It will just find them, and they'll show up. Well, see, there you go, folks. Uh, Richard fixing and talking to Russ about fixing his own own doggone problems, and y'all actually download it and listen to it. So there you have it. Okay, so um, thanks for tuning into Let's Fix. Uh, thanks for tuning into Let's Fix Richard's problem for this week. That's right. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Fix Richard's. <laughs> you just you wanted to make me edit something, didn't you? Oh uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Um, like I said, take your time, do a little research. Why don't you go beat that dog of yours? Uh, oh, wait. That's the boy dog. He's been having issues. <laughs> he he narrowly avoided getting cut, and I'm not gonna bring it back up again because ah, it makes me cringe just thinking about. It. Anyway, um. <laughs> Anyway, there you go, folks. Oh, by the way, I'm not advocating beating of any dogs. I, I, I was just kidding. Oh, no, I beat his ass if he gets out of line. Well, I don't want anybody to think that I'm advocating you just going around beating your dogs because we have three dogs and we love each and every one of them. Actually, if he gets out of line, I'll go find one of them small, hairy, disease-carrying things and beat on one of them. What, a badger? Uh, no. Oh. Ones we were talking about earlier. Oh, the rug rats. Yeah, them. Oh, okay. Anyway. I think what we talk <laughs> so it's not impossible to get printing going. Uh, some of you folks may be a little nervous about it, and I know it's not that big an issue for some people. You know, one of the issues we're having here is printing over the network, but we'll get that squared away somehow. But uh, do your research. Take the time to, uh, and Russ gave you the right information. In fact, I, I was going to talk about that to make myself sound smart. But if you'll go ahead and uh, pop open that port, you can get at it either with localhost, if I can find it. 631. Yeah. You can either get there localhost colon 631, that 127.0.0.1, Colon 631, the IP address of your printer, 631, uh, the name of your firstborn child, colon 631. Uh, all of them will get you over there and just go down the list. That's what I plan to do on the next one. 
because we are going to spend a little money. Russ's idea of expensive and my idea of expensive are different. (laughs) (laughs) We will go get a list of printers and come back here and look to see if there's drivers for them uh, before we purchase the next one. But we do have to have one for a job. So y'all go out and give it a shot. Plug Plug your printers in, see what's happening. And in fact, before we go, uh, I will say this, when this all-in-one was plugged into her machine in the opposite end of the house, or well, in the end of the house that she was in, from my the Linux side of my laptop, I was able to print. From the Linux machines back in the radio room, I was able to print over the network. Do the research and, and, and check it out. It's been a long day. <laughs> and speaking of research, let me just give the information out about the database for the Linux Foundation's open printing stuff. That's at linuxfoundation.org stroke collaborate stroke workgroups stroke open printing. And if you go there, there are links to the database. And if you're curious whether or not your printer or a printer you might be looking at is compatible with Linux and what you know level of compatibility it might have, Go there, go to the database, look up the model number of your printer, and not only will it tell you if your computer and your printer are compatible, it will also provide you with a link to the available drivers or tell you if that driver is available in either the Fumatic or Gutenprint driver database and whether it may already be installed on your system. So it's definitely a good resource, and if you're worried about your printer, it's the place to go to find out. Except that you can't get there. What do you mean you can't get there? The site is down for maintenance. We will be restoring service shortly. Thank you for your patience. Linux Foundation. Oh, the actual database is currently down for maintenance, yes, as as we speak. But by the time this comes out, it will probably not. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when the site is up, go there. It's a great source. When it's down, it's not quite as helpful. It's very sucky. It doesn't give you any information. <laughs> all right so we 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 fixed richard's stuff we talked about the qth thing and uh we even uh, took a turn at at, uh uh, ardmore technomahamarama anyway if you want to get a hold of me you can contact me uh at kb5jbv at gmail.com kb5jbv at gmail.com or go over to social networks. Uh, give me, give me a little, little shove and I'm liable to show up. You can check, check me out on Twitter. I, I don't pay much attention over there, but I do, do post stuff every once in a while. And, or you can go on over to Facebook. My identica is currently broke because Ping FM's acting stupid. And, um, uh, I think that's just about all the places you can get a hold of me that I'm willing to give out on the podcast now. For those of you that are special people, send me an email. And if you really, really, no, I ain't going to do that. So with that, we're going to toss it over to Russ up there between the red wing peaks and, uh, take it away, Russ. Yes, this is Russ K5TUX. As I said at the beginning of the show, if you want to contact me, I'm on all the major social networks out there as J.R. Woodman and K5TUX at seventhrees.org. My email address is k5tux at lhspodcast.info. You can also send email to Richard and I at the same time at info at lhspodcast.info. So those of you who have looked at the website recently have probably noticed that telephone number has changed. 
The new number is 1909LHS-SHOW. And for people who are alphabetically impaired, that's 1909-547-7469. So that will actually get you in. There's no extension numbers or anything like that. If you happen to still have the old number, that number still works. Uh, This one's just direct to the LHS call-in line. So please give us a call, leave us some voice feedback. We would love to hear it, and we'll even put you on the air. So I think that's about it. You can leave us comments over at the website. You can send us email. You can check us out over at Facebook. Uh, you know, like us over there. All of our show updates show up there and everything. We've also got the streaming audio, and everything you ever wanted to know about the show is on the website, lhspodcast.info. I think that's about all I have to say on this episode, number 67 of Linux in the Ham Shack, from up here between the peaks in the pine forest of north-central Arkansas. And I'm going to send it back down to just southeast of Bald Springs in Heartland, Texas, where Richard is going to say, If y'all want to call and leave a message, that's, that's one wow and a bunch of numbers. One wow and a bunch of numbers. W-O-W-0-W, not O, zero W, and a bunch of numbers. Y'all don't forget. And most importantly... Everybody enjoy the Halloween holiday. Or uh, wait a minute, I'm I'm wait a minute. I'm I'm time delayed. Uh, I hope everybody has. Hope everybody enjoyed and had a safe Halloween. And we'll talk to y'all next time.